0: everybody, welcome to The X Report, I'm Raven X and alongside me is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka one of the biggest Grizzlies and Titans fans that I know. Today's episode is going to have a bit of a different start to it because let's be honest, as much as we love sports, as much as we're loving the playoffs and baseball and all the football stuff and other sports that are going on, there is much more to life than just sports and I think that, unfortunately, it takes tragedy to kind of remember that. So here at the X Report, we would like to extend our condolences to the loved ones of the 10 victims of the Buffalo grocery store shooting that mostly took out elderly um, black people, which, of course, was a terrible tragedy and done by the acts of a racist white supremacist and then even just this week the young victims of the rob elementary shooting that took place in texas which claimed the lives of 19 kids and two adults um i think that i me personally i kind of feel like i missed the ball a bit kind of talking about you know the social justice aspect and just trying to keep things on sports because once again life is so much bigger than sports and I think that it's just kind of a dialogue that I wish that people would kind of recognize more so about just this these random and terror terroristic um, acts of violence that are taking place on you know not only black people but kids people who can't defend themselves people who are hoping to go to places that they go to every single day and should be places of safety. Unfortunately, they're not. So, Ethan, I don't know if you had anything to add, but I just wanted to say, like, thoughts and prayers are awesome. You know, I know Ethan and I are both believers in gods and strong believers, but thoughts and prayers are great, but when there's no action behind it, when there's no change behind it, when people in power are not actually putting forth the effort to actually make the events like this not happen as often as they do. Unfortunately, they're just going to continue to happen. There's going to continue to be losses of life that did not have to take place. And it's really tragic. And I just I just wanted to kind of say my piece on it. And then, Ethan, if there's anything you want to add, please feel free to.
1: Um, I'm just going to add that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. And expecting a different result.
0: And I think with each um, each time we've had
1: one of these superior mass shootings, it's been the same cycle of, hey, we have some people that are lagging the can- the cannon for gun control, which I do firmly support, where I think that it should be incredibly difficult to attain a gun, and then you have guys on the opposite end of the spectrum but I think ultimately what it boils down to, in my opinion, is like as much as like I understand guns are used to protect people, but it's like, bro, people are losing their lives, children are losing their lives, and that's something that um that like it has to change. We have to, I, I firmly believe, we have to make it way more difficult for people to be able to attain guns and the carry rate that we are because it's in my opinion, it's no way possible an eighteen year old should be able to walk into a into a school with the AR fifteen. Mm-hmm. And um I was just listening to a podcast and they were kind of doing something similar to what we're doing right now. And one of the guys on the podcast said like he looked up like um, just just like the history of mass shootings. And um the common denominator was was in a lot of those mass shootings, the weapon of choice was an AR fifteen. So I think that it should definitely be something done to where people aren't able to attain these guns as easily as they're able to and um deeply saddened and hurt, especially for those families. Um, as an individual that at some point is going to bring in a child into this world um it, it's scary to think like this could be a possibility um so yeah that's that's my little spiel
0: yeah and you know not to spend the whole show talking about it because i look you feel like i could but i mean i think that you really hit it and you know the podcast you listen to hit it on the head about how ar-15s are typically the weapon of choice And same for you, I'm a huge believer in gun reform. I think that gun control should definitely be implemented because there is no reason a civilian, a person just walking the street, needs an AR-15. Like, it's one thing if you want to get protection for your house or something along those lines, but there is really no reason just average Joe needs an ar I understand some people collect guns and some people hunt, blah, blah, blah. But I don't feel like your ability to hunt and your ability to have a collector's item is worth the lives of people who aren't able to protect themselves. I think that it goes, and unfortunately I hate that, I feel like this is just going to continue the cycle of people get sad, people make statements. And then it just, a week from now, it just becomes the status quo until everybody acts all heartbroken again when it happens. Because as you mentioned, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing multiple times and thinking you're gonna get a different result. So, like I said, thoughts and prayers are important, but without the actions to follow suit and to actually try to make things like this not happen again, it's gonna keep happening. But just like I said, just want to extend our condolences. Um, but all right, let's try to move things onto a bit of a lighter note and talk. What we're gonna be talking about on today's show We're going to play a game of NFL Let's Make a Deal. Ethan, I'm going to give you three NFL players who are likely to be traded. I'm going to present some trade offers to you, and you're going to let me know which offer you think you would take. Um, In addition to that, we're also, of course, going to look at the NBA playoffs and some recent NBA trade rumors, um, looking at possibly Russell Westbrook. Teams looking to trade their draft lottery picks and so on and so forth and then of course we're going to talk about the current state of the playoffs and see who we think is going to pull things out in the final stretch of the conference finals but before we get to any of that please should sure check out the xreport.net i repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers for these episodes of our lovely podcast our youtube channel entitled the xreport so without further ado let's go ahead and look at the nfl and some recent moves that have taken place uh starting in the. AFC North after a Pretty long delay Didavion Clowney has officially re-signed with the Cleveland Browns on a one-year deal that's up to $11 million. The Baltimore Ravens added to their secondary by signing former Pro Bowl cornerback Kyle Fuller to a one-year deal. The Colts signed quarterback Nick Foles to a two-year deal, which allows him to reunite with former offensive coordinator and Colts head coach uh, Frank Wright. And then the Seahawks get some speed at wide receiver signing Marquise Good one. So, not too many moves taking place thus far, but hopefully that'll be changing the closer we get um, to the conclusion of OTAs. Um, in other news that came out. Um, after the success of last season's Hard Knocks end seasons, which chroniclized uh, the Indianapolis Colts, HBO announced that this year they will be doing the same thing with the Arizona Cardinals, which should be cool, but they announced that uh, prior to the season, the usual Hard Knocks season is going to be focused on the Lions. So, Ethan, in your opinion, which team are you more fascinated to get the behind the scenes on, uh, the Detroit Lions or the Arizona Cardinals?
1: It's definitely the Arizona Cardinals because not, and it's not because of like their, a lot of people when they came out, it's like, I don't want to watch the Lions because they lose, but that has nothing to do with it. I just think that the Cardinals are in a, a way more interesting point in their, um, in their formation as a team. Like you have Kyle Mary, who's going through these um, contract negotiations and contract, like, he's, I think he's withholding from OTAs and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, D-Hop, who suffered the six-game suspension for PEDs. And, and they also have, like, some guys that I kind of draw, like, kind of would be interested in seeing. Like, I know you've seen J.J. Watt before, but we're seeing a different, like, a more elder statesman J.J. Watt. I wouldn't mind seeing buddha baker because i think he could be a, um, an entertaining piece i wouldn't mind seeing isaiah simmons um and just how the acquisition of hollywood brown you know he's he's Kyle's guy and how that's going to how he's going to integrate himself with the team so I think they're just the more uh, interesting team
0: at the moment. That's fair. I would actually go on the opposite side. I'm going to say the Detroit Lions. I think that since Dan Campbell took over, I think that there has definitely been a new energy in Detroit. I mean, last year their record may not reflect it, but they were really competitive. And I feel like with the additions they made in both free agency and the draft that they're a much better squad that's going to be taking the field. And, I mean, with where they're um, – hard knocks is going to be taking place. It's going to be like during the preseason. So I think that it'll be cool seeing how, you know, Jared Goff trying to kind of take over that leadership role, trying to see if Amon Ross, St. Brown is really going to take over, um, get to know Jameson Williams, the rookie they drafted as well as um, Aiden Hutchinson, who I think both are really going to be key contributors uh, whenever they're both on the field. And just, I'm really interested to see how, I guess what makes that team tick? Cause as I mentioned, they were really competitive last year and Everybody kind of thought they weren't going to win any games or that their roster was going to be terrible. But in truth, I mean, they played better than some of the teams that make the playoffs in certain sports, on certain spurts. Like I said, may not have pulled out the victory, but I think that the Lions are one of those teams that the current leadership in terms of, like, coaching in the front office, I think that they can really help turn that program around. And I think that we could be watching a team that won what – four, three or four games last year and kind of maybe even double that win percentage. But I think it really kind of just starts in the off season and what they do um, going into August, September. All right, but talking about what things are going to end up looking like the NFL has had a lot of discussions as of late about how to improve their product, more specifically the Pro Bowl, which, let's be honest, has definitely lost its luster over the past decade or so. Um, so much so that the league is even contemplating getting rid of the MVIT entirely. Ethan, do you think that that would be the right move, or would the NFL just be better off making some tweaks to make it more entertaining? I uh, think
1: Uh, your uh, your league's best players, but when the game is so, uh, it's different than it's different than basketball because in basketball you can play de- you can you can play defense and you can just make a bunch of exciting plays. In the game of football, honestly and truly, the most exciting plays are some of the plays where you're going to see. Um, like, you're going to see people being contested. Like, if you, you're you going to see a wide receiver make a great play on the DB, you're going to see a DB make a great play on the wide receiver. You're going to see a linebacker uh, get a big hit on a running back. You're going to see a running back make a run over a DB or a linebacker. You're going to see a defensive lineman or bull rush and dominate all linemen. And I think just the physical nature of football, you can't really provide a fun experience with it because once you take out the, like, you're taking out the aspect of people playing to their full strength because you're just trying to make an exhibition, you take out the exciting parts of football. So I think they should just get rid of it all together.
0: Yeah, I was trying to find, like, A strategy in my head so they wouldn't have to get rid of it. Maybe make some tweaks to make it cool or make it fun. But honestly, I can't really think of anything that would kind of make it that exciting thing again. I think that at least being voted to the Pro Bowl should continue to matter. Like kind of view it as like, you know, all nba voting or things like that just so especially because these rookies for veterans or guys who are used to going to the super bowl the pro bowl might not might not mean much but these first year second year guys who are still getting their feet wet for them to be recognized as pro bowl caliber players i think that that should still mean a lot and then um i think that even if they don't have the game itself, I think that they've done really a really good job of like bringing in these new activities, like the dodgeball game or the skills um, activity. And like I think this past year, that was the first year they did a race, which I think was cool. So if they can like include different things like that, I think that they can still have the Pro Bowl be an interesting event. But I think it can still be an interesting event. But I just think the game itself, I mean, I think a lot of players really touched on it. Like, we're not going to really be going all out and risk getting hurt, which makes total sense. I mean, you're not playing for your real team. This isn't a game that's necessarily earning you anything. It's no point of you, like, going all out and hurting yourself for, like you mentioned, an exhibition. But, I mean, other than that, I think that they should still do the Pro Bowl week stuff. And then maybe if they just want to do, like, an all Madden game or something like they've been doing lately, Loki, I think that's been a bit more entertaining than the game itself but let's be honest our game we're about to play is much more entertaining than this last year's Pro Bowl so as I mentioned at the top of the show we're gonna play a game of let's make a deal and so Ethan I'm gonna just run it through you so I have three players who um let's be honest they're on the trade block right now however their team is having a bit trouble uh trading them the first of course is quarterback Baker Mayfield for the Cleveland Browns. Secondly is safety Chuck Clark of the Baltimore Ravens. And then third is linebacker Deion Jones of the Atlanta Falcons, who is a recent addition to the potential incumbents on the move. So like I said, how it's going to work is I'm going to present three offers to you. And you have the choice of selecting one of those, or you can go with no deal, which means you decide to keep the player on their respective teams. So you ready to get started? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, we're going to start off with quarterback Baker Mayfield, a guy who it's been trade speculation on him since. When did they get Deshaun Watson? March? Yeah. So it's been a couple of months now, and he's still on the team. Why? Because this upcoming season, he is guaranteed to make $18.9 million. That's a lot of money for somebody who's been a bit of a disappointment. And if you're the Cleveland Browns, you just signed um, Deshaun Watson to the most guaranteed money. Um, in NFL history and you probably don't want to pay Baker as much as that and while other teams out there do need quarterbacks they're going to have to take on a bit of that deal to make it happen so Ethan here's the first offer the Seattle Seahawks will offer you a 2023 fourth round pick but the Browns have to take 12 million of that deal second the Carolina Panthers will offer you a 2023 fifth round pick but the Browns have to take ten million dollars of that deal. The Texans will offer you a twenty twenty four conditional third round pick, but the, uh, the Browns will have to take nine million of that deal. Or you have the fourth option of taking no deal. Which one are you going with? Uh, I think I'm
1: going to take the Texans
0: deal. Fair enough. What makes it the Texans the one that works? For
1: one, it's a higher pick.
0: true um i think for me i think i probably go to texans as well it's a conditional one so essentially it just be based off how many snaps he took kind of similar to the uh the trade that the um colts and the no eagles and the colts had for carson Wentz yeah i mean even though you got to wait a year for it i think that you can just continue to add talent to your team. I know Davis Mills seems to be the guy right now, but there's no guarantee that it's going to stay that way forever. And I think that in the guy, get, at least getting Baker, I think it provides some edge to that uh, defensive backfield, provides some, I'm not defensive, sorry, offensive backfield, and provides some veteran. And if Davis Mills messes up, at least you know you got somebody who's been in the league for the past four years now, and you kind of know what to expect with them. All right, so moving on to safety, Chuck Clark. Let's be honest, the Ravens need wide receivers, so that is typically what teams are offering. First up is Eagles, who are offering wide receiver Jalen Rager and a 2024 6th round pick. Um, the Giants are offering wide receiver Darius Slayton. The Jacksonville Jaguars are offering a 2023 fourth-round pick, or you can decide to keep them. What are you doing? The first deal was the Eagles offering wide receiver Jalen Rager and a 2024
1: sixth-round pick. I think I'm going to take the Eagles deal. Um, granted, I know um, that he's had issues with drops as a receiver, but he's also had some really productive years, and I think that you could potentially help build. You could potentially develop him to being a, a wide receiver one that you need.
0: There is no way. (laughs) Me personally, um, apparently, actually, during the draft, there were talks about a Jalen Rager, Chuck Clark trade being made. But, um,. I was not with it then, and I'm not with it now. I just I've seen too much bad from Jalen Rager to want it, and mind you, this is coming from a Ravens fan who sees our receiving Gore and knows it has virtually no real experience. But yeah, no, I I pass on that personally. Um, I think Rashad Bateman is going to take over as the number one, which I'm cool with. I just wish we had more. I wish there was more reasons for optimism behind beside him, but we'll see how it goes. Me personally, I would say no deal. Um, I know that we just drafted Kyle Hamilton and we just uh, brought in Marcus Williams, two guys, that I'm really excited to see in his defense. But I think that people kind of underestimate the role that Chuck Clark played on this defense for the past couple of years. Um, I think that especially last year when everybody got hurt, he was essentially the quarterback of the defense. So I think that... In situations of we have three safeties on the field, he can kind of come up with a linebacker playing the blocks alongside Patrick Queen and kind of make things happen there. Um, I just think that he's too good of a player to let go, especially because the receivers that realistically we probably get I don't think that they would enhance much more of what we have. And truthfully, I would rather get a player for him as opposed to just trading for a mid-round pick. So I'd go no deal. All right, last one, linebacker Deion Jones. The Athletics' Jeff Schultz um, put out an article about Deion Jones earlier this week expressing that his time... Um, In Atlanta, looks like it will be coming to an end. Uh, The possibility of a trade is on the table, but Jones is compared to Baker Mayfield in the article as someone who teams understand will probably be cut. Uh, Jones has a $20 million cap number this season and a post-June 1st designation, which could enable him to be cut without losing any cap space. Um, I looked at his cap hit, it is well over 20 mil. so kind of similar to Baker Mayfield. The teams that will possibly make the move are going to ask Atlanta to, you know, take on a bit of money. So let's start off with the first offer. The Baltimore Ravens are offering Chuck Clark, but you have to take $7 million of that contract. Uh, the Browns are offering Baker Mayfield straight up. The Broncos are offering wide receiver KJ Hambler, but... The Falcons have to take on 13 million of that deal, or no deal. The Falcons keep Deion Jones. I'm going to say to
1: Clark, um, simply because we know that the Falcons' secondary has been bad, quite frankly, for these past seasons, and I also know that they're in like a rebuild stage. So why not maybe check the box by getting uh, a capable starter at safety? And we both
0: know how to um, how the Ravens love their linebacker. So I think it could be a win win for both parties. Yeah, I as a Ravens fan personally I would love having Deion Jones. I know last year was not exactly his best year, but I think pairing him alongside Patrick Queen would be a really dynamic duo. But for the sake of this game, I would actually take the Broncos deal. Thirteen mil is a lot, but I think that the Falcons cap space situation is one where they can For one season, they can allow themselves to spend some money. Yes, you drafted Drake London. um, You drafted uh, Kyle Pitts a season ago, and you added other wide receivers to the mix. But, I mean, still, they're not really a group that you're getting that excited about. KJ Hambler is a guy who I feel like just the sheer number of bodies in Bronco – In Denver, is kind of the thing that's holding him back a bit just because, I mean, you got Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, and Cortland Sutton ahead of you on the depth chart, so you're not seeing the field as much as you would like to. Whereas in Atlanta, I think that they could get a real true number two wide receiver or somebody could really give Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter somebody to really work with. So personally, if I'm Atlanta, 13 mil you don't necessarily want to take, but overall, I think that that would be the best fit. But all right, that was our game of let's make a deal. And let's move on to our other weekly game, believable or buffoonery. And, Ethan, I know that you know that there are some great tight ends in this league. But when you look at the pay disparity between tight ends and wide receivers, it's pretty big. For example, we just saw Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill getting deals of north of $30 million. And George Kittle was talking about his good brother, Travis Kelsey, and said he gets paid half of what a wide receiver makes, which just boggles my mind. Travis Kelsey is making $12 million this year. So... Believable or before top tight ends should be paid like wide receivers. In my personal opinion, I'm going to say
1: believable. In the case of Travis Kelsey, I think he should because he's been as productive as any wide receiver has been.
0: If not more so. The only thing that's all just holding them back is one, that just the perception of the position, like, wide receivers are from premier position in today's NFL, especially with
1: the past activities of a lot of teams. And um like they're one of the more um I guess you could say sexier positions like tight end when you hear when you hear like oh he's a tight end, you don't think like that's a sexy position. But when you hear a wide out, you think of like Randy Moss, Terrell Lawrence, um Tyree here, you think of like big names, Titan isn't the name that draws a lot
0: of attention. So I'm gonna to have to say in my personal opinion, yes, but I'm gonna say in the say in the shape of life, the actual NFL I'm gonna say before. I'm gonna say believable because like I said, like if if it's the top guys, like Travis Kelsey You look at what he's been able to contribute over these past few years. He deserves to be paid like a top wide receiver. George Kittle, I know he's been hurt this past couple of seasons, but when he's on that field, I mean, he's been the best player on that offense minus last year when it was Debo Samuel. Um, But then after that, like, I love Mark Andrews. Am I trying to pay Mark Andrews $27 million a year? No. Same for Darren Waller. I think while there are some great tight ends out there, just the upper echelon deserves to be paid like that. Which really comes down to like maybe two or three guys. All right, continuing on the conversation of wide receiver, Cortland Sutton has shown some serious flashes over the course of this career. But with Be- with um Russell Wilson now taking over as a starter in Denver, there's big expectations for what Cortland can do. So much so that Andrew Kendrickson of Fantasy Sports said Cortland Sutton is this year's Cooper Cup. That's some pretty uh that's a pretty big claim, but Believable or buffoonery? Cortland Sutton, I mean, Cortland Sutton will finish the year top five in receiving yards. I'm actually going to say believable. Um, I think we all
1: know that Russell Wilson loves to throw the deep ball. And we all know that Cortland Sutton is a guy that can go out, can go up and get it with the best of them. Um, I think the only thing that might hinder him is health. And, outside of that but if he stays healthy I'm going to put stock in he might be in
0: the top five receivers I would say believable as well I think that we've seen with Russell Wilson that once he likes a guy he's going to target them a lot we saw that a lot with Tyler Lockett we also saw that with DK Metcalf and I feel like even though Corlin Sutton doesn't have the speed of um the speed of DK or I think just the overall just hands of Tyler Lockett I feel like the more he continues to work with Russ I think that eventually that chemistry is going to be there Corlin Sutton has been an underrated guy for the past several years but I mean he's huge kind of similar like a, a DK and I think he's somebody who when you look at what the Broncos receiving core has been he continues to be the best thing they've pushed out there so I'm really excited to see what Corlin Sutton can do I think he could be a top three wideout. Continuing on the conversation of my good brother-in-law, Russell Wilson. He talked about his week one matchup where he will be heading to Seattle for the first time since leaving the team earlier this year. So, yeah, when asked about his return to Lumen Field, he said, I think it's going to be an exciting time. Obviously, Seattle's meant the world to me over the past 10 years. Um, I think for me, it's not an emotional." Um, Not emotional. It's got to be non-emotional. You got to be able to go into it with the understanding that it's just ball. That's saying a lot for a team that you spent a decade with, uh, brought a Super Bowl there. So believable or buffoonery, the Seahawks should give Russell Wilson a tribute during their week one game.
1: Wilson is their most um, successful quarterback in the history of the franchise. And I think he definitely deserves a tribute video for him.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I know that, you know, he's saying that <laughs> they should be non-emotional or whatever. But, I mean, come on, Russ, You're going to be emotional. It's going to be tough. But with that being said, you should still win that game by at least two touchdowns. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk about another legend. Somebody who was on the opposite side was given Seattle the blues for years, and that's running back Todd Gurley, former pro bowler, former MVP candidate. We really haven't seen much of him over this past year or so. And he kind of talked about that. He said, there was never not one time where I watched a game and was like, I wish I was out there. I appreciated my time in the league and I've done things that I would have never dreamed about. So, believable or buffoonery, we have seen the last of Todd Gurley in the NFL. I'm
1: going to say buffoonery. I think he might get a call. team that needs so um that needs to change the pace back and he's a guy he's also versatile he can make catches out of the backfield. And we know some teams how teams, um, teams could be running backs that can make plays out of the backfield and throughout his playing career he's has been one of the better running backs in that department.
0: I'm gonna say buffoonery just because I think that Let's out, oh, let's be honest. I think that in terms of pure talent, Todd Gurley over he got into the league in what 2014, 2015, was has been one of the best running backs period. I mean, what he was just able to do is just speaks really volumes about the type of guy he was. Unfortunately, he just couldn't stay healthy. And I feel like if he's already kind of in this position where it's like he's not necessarily wishing he was out there, especially because I'm sure this is the first time in his life, or at least football life, where he hadn't been getting banged around, where he hadn't been getting hurt. So I think that that can be really addicting to, like, you know, not necessarily feel pain. I mean, he's already accomplished so much throughout his career. And though I don't know if it's going to parlay to being a Hall of Famer, I think at the very least he's going to get, like, Rams honors. Um... But yeah, I, I'm gonna say buffoon around. I don't think he's gonna come back. But speaking of players who've been banging the drum on a comeback for years, Terrell Owens has been that guy. Currently playing in the Fan Controlled Football League, and I think from what I've seen, has been doing pretty well. He kind of talked about the impact he could have made in the NFL, for example, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, in speaking of the Rams and Bucks playoff game, he said, you put me out on that field in the first or even the second half of the game. Tom Brady could have very well have his eighth Super Bowl ring. For those of you who kind of forgot, last season down the stretch was terrible for wide receivers. For example, Chris Godwin towards his ACL earlier in the year, and then Antonio Brown had his for lack of a better word, meltdown. So, Ethan, believable or buffoonery. If T.O. comes on the field, goes on the field alongside Scotty Miller, Mike Evans, um, it would have been an upgrade over what the Bucks had at wideout last postseason.
1: Uh, of course not. Um, I think T.O. is still okay. He still could be a, I think he could be a serviceable player, but I don't think he would be like a different maker for a team.
0: Yeah, I'm, I agree with you there. I think that it'd be fun. It will be a great story. And, I mean, T.O., if you look at him, mean, he's still in great shape. But it's asking for a lot to assume that this 48-year-old wideout is just all of a sudden just going to be giving these young DBs the blues. It's, it's asking for a lot. All right, speaking of giving the blues, everybody's kind of been giving the Bears front office a lot of flack for not necessarily bringing in more talent to help out Justin Fields. But this time it's Justin Fields speaking out about it, and he said, just because we don't have a big-name guy doesn't mean those guys aren't talented. I have plenty of confidence in myself and my teammates that we're going to get the job done. While they do have a solid running back group with David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert coming back, Receiver-wise, not so much. Darnell Mooney is looking like he's going to be the number one. Uh, They signed Byron Pringle. They drafted Vellis Jones out of Tennessee this year. But who knows? Maybe there will be a bit of a surprise. So, believable or buffoonery, the Bears' offense will exceed expectations. Um, I'm
1: I'm going to say believable. I think that you're going to get year two Justin Fields. I think he's going to be better equipped to read defenses in the NFL. Um, yes, I know he doesn't have some of the weapons that he had in this previous season with Allen Robinson leaving, but I think that he's going to be able to make um, what he has work. I think they're going to integrate him using his legs more into this offensive scheme, and they still have, they had before David Montgomery got hurt.
0: Not David Montgomery, what's his name? Not- Which one?
1: The running back for the Bears. Oh, yeah, it's David
0: Montgomery.
1: Yeah, so before he got hurt, they had a solid running attack. So I think they're going to be – they're going to
0: see expectations. I'm going to say buffoonery. And it's not even totally because of their wideouts. I think that Justin Fields is going to produce better than he did last year. But low-key, he kind of has to because his rookie year was rough. But I just think that offensive line is going to be a problem. I think that we kind of underestimate – the fact that a they really didn't bring in too many people and b they lost the starting guard um in james daniels that's going to be really tough and then you look at the pass rushers who are in the um nfc north alone that's going to be hard that's going to be a hard uh pill to swallow for example detroit we talked about earlier with aiden Hutchison and um Oh my gosh, Charles Harris had a bounce back year. You look at the Vikings, you got to deal with Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith, just to name a few, and then the Packers, Kenny Clark on the inside, um, Rashawn Gary, another one, Preston Smith. That's a lot to expect Justin Fields to be able to deal with with a bad offensive line. So more so than his line than his actual wide receivers, I think that's going to end up being the problem. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this past week of postseason action? Top
1: three takeaways are um, Luca. I guess Luca and the Mavs still have some semblance of hope. I still believe that the Eastern Conference Finals is going to go to seven games, even though the Miami Heat got demolished last night. And I think that, um, I think that this, in terms of, like, level of play, this round of the playoffs has probably been the worst.
0: Yeah, I would, I definitely agree with you on that last sentiment. All right, let's talk our Mamba Players of the Week. Uh, For me, um, out of the Eastern Conference, I'm... I got to go Jason Tatum. I mean, I think that these past couple of games, I think it's benefited them that Jimmy Butler has not been at 100%. But I think that we've just seen kind of the evolution of Jason Tatum where he's recognizing that the Celtics are his team. And sometimes when you're the mom, but you got to play like the mom, which means you got to put the team on your back. I know that um, game two was not exactly, I mean, not game two, game three was not exactly his best performance, but his team was still able to kind of build up around him. And I think they've got the dividends of that in the last couple of games. So I'm going to give it to him. Uh, for
1: me, I'm going to give it to his teammate, Jalen Brown. Just this past game, he dropped 25 um, in a game that, in the start of it, it looked like it was
0: going to be really competitive, but the Celtics, they pulled it out. And he, was, he had an efficient 25. He was 10 for 19 from the field. So I got to go with Jalen. All right, fair enough. Let's move on to the Western Mamba of the weekend. For me, I'm going Steph Curry. I think we all know that Luka Doncic is a bad man, but he can only do so much. You look at the Warriors' side, the team is full of bad men and guys who can shoot, but Steph Curry continues to show out this past game, dropped 20-8, and nearly posting a double-double, then had a double-double the game before that, dropping 31, 32 the night before, and, I mean, even caught – I mean, even had 12 boards in game one against Dallas. I mean, overall, he's just been all over the court and being that superstar that we've known and grown accustomed to. Yeah, I can believe it. Um, Wait, do they play tonight or tomorrow? Uh,
1: I might be wrong. It might be
0: tomorrow. I don't – hold on, I'm looking at it now. Uh, yeah, they play tonight. Yeah, okay, I got, had the two games mixed up. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there, kind of moving on to the, um, you know, looking at the current playoff standings. I think that, you know, shout-out to the Mavs for pulling out a game. I think that that was just a truly emotional day in general just for everybody because, unfortunately, that was when the um, elementary school shooting took place, and I think – Uh, a lot of people's heads weren't necessarily in it I mean you're playing in Texas the same state that it happened Steve Kerr had that impassioned statement about it like not to say that you know excuse the loss for the um, Warriors but I just think that this game they're not gonna have as many distractions and I think they're gonna end up pulling out cause I mean the Mavs won by 10 points but it's not like it was a dominating 10 points so yeah I'm in agreement with you I think that I think that this series is signed, still delivered. Um, As for the Eastern Conference, Celtics currently up 3-2 on the Heat. I think it's going to end up going to 7. Are you still banging the drum that the Heat pull it out, or are you saying Celtics? Because I think think Celtics end up winning the game 7. I think the Celtics are going to pull it
1: out because I think with Jimmy not being 100%, you can see it in his level of play. And with him not being 100%, that limits them so much offensively because, like, he's the guy that you put the ball in your hands. Yes, he's not, like, a three-point shooter, but he's the guy, especially in the fourth quarter, that you put the ball in his hands and it's like, hey, go get us a bucket. And he, since he's been injured, he really hasn't been able to do that. Like, he wasn't able to do it last night when they kind of needed, needed to stop the bleeding from the Celtics when they went on that run. And so...
0: Yeah, and it sucks because I feel like it had the you know Jimmy Butler been healthy, I think that I still think it would have went to seven, but I think that it, the games would have been more competitive. Um, but yeah, without their best player healthy, it's clear that the Heat are Heat are struggling. I mean, Bam Adebayo had a really solid game. I don't remember was that game four? I think it was game four when he dropped thirty one. But they still need a little something. And <laughs> speaking of that. Uh, Joel Embiid had a little piece to say about that He tweeted out after uh, last night's game He said Miami needs another star After uh, their second round playoff matchup I mean both Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid Spoke lonely up together So on a scale of 1 to 10 How likely do you think we could possibly be seeing Another Jimmy Butler-Joel Embiid matchup?
1: Um, I think highly unlikely simply because I don't think Philly's going to trade Joel Embiid because that's the only and I don't think Miami's going to be willing to trade Jimmy Fallon so I
0: I highly doubt it happens yeah I do too I agree that I think that I think that the um he could use another it don't even have to be a superstar but just somebody else to really help them out because Kyle Lowry he's been battling injuries and while he's been serviceable when he's been healthy I don't think I'd consider him to still be a star player. Um, But, I mean, like I said, he's been hurt these past few weeks, so who knows. But I think they could definitely use an extra piece. But as you mentioned, unless the 76 are like, F it, we going to rebuild. I don't think Joel Embiid is going anywhere. And same for, uh, what's it called, same for Jimmy Butler. But, all right, let's look at some NBA trade rumors. I mean, you and I, I know I say it all the time, every time we bring up Russell Westbrook but I think it just shows that we actually know what we're talking about we didn't like the fit of Russ in LA from the jumps and it's clear that the team doesn't necessarily love the fit either um they've been kind of putting out flyers about what it would possibly take to trade the veteran point guard however it seems that teams um who've been talking about the trade have not been telling them what they wanted to hear. Reportedly, opposing teams have been demanding the Lakers include at least one first-round draft pick in order to take on the final year of Russell Westbrook's contract. As one can guess, the Lakers aren't too keen on doing that, especially because they don't have a first-round pick for quite a while. So, if you're the Lakers, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, what do you do? Ride it out with Russ for one more year, or say, F it, throw in the pick, and get him off the team. Um. And truthfully and honest.
1: I think they're going to have to ride out with Rush. Because even if you throw in the pit, I don't know how many teams might be interested in taking on Rush in their contract. Especially when he's won some massive entity. Even though it is a one year deal. Like. The only way I can see somebody taking on their contract is if you're a team that has no shot at winning. So like, I can see, and it's weird that they will go back this route, but I can see a team like, OKC, okay, so put on the trigger, very similar to what they did initially with Kimber Walker when they took on his massive contract and they bought him out. So something like that, but I don't really. If you're trying to necessarily send him to a team that has any ambitions of winning or yeah, making the
0: playoffs, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think the Lakers are just going to have to eat it as well, mainly just because the return on investment, like the play necessarily may not be there for Russ, but, I mean, he's still a name brand. You still want to get at least something kind of comparable if you trade him. But I just, as you mentioned, I feel like it would only be from, like, losing teams, so it's not like you're really going to get much, From him which sucks if you're Russell because you don't really know what the future holds and it doesn't look like he's planning on retiring anytime soon so it's just it's just a hot mess all around speaking of a bit of a hot mess the way that the 76 year season ended definitely left a bad taste in some people's mouth and let's be honest, they're going to have to make some moves if they want to be competitive. One of the moves that they may be entertaining is listening to trade offers for Matai Thibel, uh, who is considered, who is not considered an untouchable on the roster. So would the 76ers be smart to trade him? To trade Thibel?
1: hmm He... Capabilities. Um, he's shown that in these past couple years, he's one of the top perimeter defenders in the NBA. And I think if you're a team with championship aspirations, you're going to need someone like that. I mean, you look at the Boston Celtics right now and Marcus Mark. He he hasn't played in all the games, but in the outside of this past one in the game that he's played in. He's made tremendous uh, game-changing plays on the defensive end, and that's something that you just can't replicate with anybody that you bring in.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that when you look at what's going on with this team, when you look at what's going on with the 76ers, Matai Mathai Thiable is definitely not a problem because he provides a much-needed defensive element to a team that really hasn't had much of one. And so because of that, I think that you have to kind of hold on to that as long as you can. Um, So, yeah, I'm agreeing with you there. All right, let's talk the Sacramento Kings, who have the fourth overall pick. But apparently, they don't want it. Um, Woj Woj reported that the Kings are looking to trade their fourth uh, overall pick for a star. Sacramento's GM says their organization wants to win now after trading for Sabonis, at the deadline um, I think you and I both know that They're not going to become a contender By trading this pick But for the sake of conversation Who would it take for them to trade this pick for For them to be in the playoff hunt No, I, no the playoff hunt is too long To be in a finals run Who would it have to be with this pick?
1: For the Sacramento Kings Yes It's going to it's gonna have to be one of the top 10 players So Lee Giannis, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, one of those guys, because the thing with the Kings is, they, they ultimately, it's not even the talent on the roster, I think they have serviceable talent, it's just they haven't been able to find a head coach that gets the most out of their talent, because you have a guy like Fox, who many um, believe is one of the more underrated players in the NBA. But you don't have a coach that can get the best out of him. Um, so, but as far as, like, a player, it's the, it would have to be one of the top ten players. And the reality of it is the type of player that they will be willing to trade for to potentially make a deep playoff run more times than not untouchable for a lot of teams.
0: So, who do you think it would have – like, just one of those top ten guys, who do you think it would have to be? Let's say, like – Let's move the untouchable tag. Who would they have to trade for to make a run?
1: I mean, it could be any one of them. I think, but I think to best fit their roster, their current, like if it's their current roster, they trade the pick and they get a top ten. I probably would have to say, um, I would have to say still. And the reason being is because a lot of the top ten guys, they need the ball in their hand. And they already have a guy on their team that needs the ball in his hand in the Fox. You also have with the Sabonis who needs the ball in his hand. But we still he can play with the ball. He, his greatest his greatest attribute is how he plays with the ball out of his hands and how he can move around and how he can manipulate the defense off say
0: still. That'll definitely be an interesting one. I mean, and plus with the guards they already have, you mentioned De'Aaron Fox, um, and oh my gosh, dude, who they just drafted out of Baylor, whose name I forgot. Um, whatever. Damian. Thank you, uh, Damian Mitchell. I think that it's great to have a veteran, uh, leader like that on the roster. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or befuddling. And let's start off with Jason Tatum, who has been making waves thus far. Um, actually. I lied. I let's look at the all NBA teams which were released, which made some left a kind of a sour uh, taste in people's mouths. As we all know, it is position based. So, first team selections were Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, and Jason Tatum. Second. Joel Embiid, John Morant, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, DeMar DeRozan, and third, Carl Anthony Towns, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Trey Young, and Pascal Siakam. So we're going to break this up into two parts. One, um, we're going to kind of talk about the criticisms of Joel Embiid not being first team. And two, we're just going to pick the players or the selections that we felt got wrong. So as the runner-up for the MVP, a lot of people felt that Joel Embiid Definitely deserve to be a first team selection. Jason Tatum even spoke out of it and out on it and said, I do think that the list should be positionless. Joel Embiid was second in MVP voting and he made second team. It doesn't really make too much sense. So Ethan, are you in agreement with that? Should the all-NBA team be positionless? And if you are keeping, if you're moving uh Joel Embiid up, who has to be taken out? simply
1: because you're, basically, you're essentially saying, like, these are the top five best players at their positions. I think once you remove, and I understand, once you remove the position-based thing, you're essentially saying the top five best players in the NBA. Yeah. But if that's the case, then I don't think, if you're going to say top five best players in the NBA, I don't think Devin Booker or Jason Tatum should have been on this list. Truthfully, they're yeah. great players, but if you're going to go, if you're going to base their fires on the position as far as best players in the NBA, they don't make the list at all. Yeah. Um. But if I were to put Joel Embiid on who would I take off? I'm going to be honest. I'm probably going to take off Jason Tatum. right. You said what? I said for Yeah, simply because like yes, Jason Tatum had a great season, but. For a majority of the season, the Celtics struggled. They kind of hit their stride late. And in the case of Joel they he was dominant in the 76ers, were a dominant team from
0: the jump. The only thing that hindered them was when he got hurt, and they took a slide. So that's what I would say. I feel you on that. Um, I agree with you in terms of – it would just become top five players and then just be the same players every year. So I think that it should still be position-based. I would agree with you on taking out uh, Jason Tatum as well. I think that while he did have a really good regular season, I think we're starting to see star Jason Tatum in the postseason more so than we did in the regular season. Though, of course, he did have some really good games there as well. Um, But, yeah, continuing on the conversation of um, Jason Tatum, you mentioned you don't Think he's in a top five player in this league, which is totally fair. But JJ Reddick on Get Up uh, said that he's probably at this point a top eight or top 10 player. So I think we talked about this a bit earlier in the postseason, but believable or buffoonery, Jason Tatum has cemented himself as a top 10 player in the NBA. It's tough because, like I said, I mean, the playoffs he's been arguably top five best performers from top to bottom. Um, But just his t- entire body of work i don't know if i could go as far as 10. i think i'm with you like about right outside of it but i think this may be the last year that we can say he's he's not top 10. all right speaking of a guy who has been at the top of his position for a while zach levine last week we kind of talked about it seems like he could potentially be on his way out of chicago and quite a few rumors have been swirling about where he is going to end up and of course at the lakers are always in a conversation for top free agents but this one might make some sense Um, in a recent interview he was asked about you know his time in LA which he does have a house in California where he said I've always been a big fan of the Lakers LeVar Ball kind of furthered that claim that Zach Levine wants to be somewhere that's uh, where he doesn't necessarily have to share the spotlight and pin the Lakers as another destination so believable or buffoonery Zach Levine is a lock to become a Laker this offseason
1: I think it's for fun, or simply because the amount, just the the, the way that the trade will come about, I don't think it can work out. Cause you're you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to probably match his contract, all of those things. Who are you're going to give up? Because if you give up pieces for Zach Levine, then you're going to probably give up a lot of depth that you don't.
0: I think that if he were to be, oh, he's actually wouldn't even be a trade. He's in his last year of his deal. So they will be able to sign him outright. So if it comes, oh, yeah, if they can sign him outright, I think that I could see him definitely going to L.A. But if a trade were to happen, I've been seeing a lot of potentially, um, what's this called, Um, Anthony Davis possibly in the mix, which, I I can make that make sense in my head just because Anthony Davis, when he's been on the court, he's been cool, but it's been so hard getting him on the court. And I think that if I'm – I don't think I'm convinced that I would want him to be – whenever LeBron eventually retires, I don't think that we can just hand him the keys to the franchise and everything will be afloat. So if I had to pick somebody, like, realistically to be traded, I could could make trading AD work. But since he's going to be an unrestricted free agent – I don't think it's necessarily a lock for anybody in free agency at this point, but I think the Lakers are definitely in the lead. All right, continuing on the conversation of the Lakers, they're still well in the throes of their head coaching uh, search. As of now, some of the finalists they've been looking at are former um, Trailblazers head coach Terry Stotts, uh, Darvin Ham, assistant for the Bucks, um, Kenny Atkinson, former coach of the Nets, But they're still apparently holding out hope that Doc Rivers could potentially forego his time in Philly to join the Lakers. So believable or buffoonery, the Lakers are a better fit for Doc Rivers than the 76ers. Uh. Um, it's tough. Um, I think I'm gonna. In comparison to the 76ers I will say believable, but I still don't necessarily love the fit of Doc in LA. But as you mentioned, I mean, he's used to coaching. You know, big personalities. He's used to coaching veterans, and I think that it could be one of those things where if LeBron is talking in your ear enough about how much he wants to coach you and how great he thinks y'all can be, even if it doesn't necessarily turn out that way, I think that that could probably feed him as opposed to being in. the 76ers who still clearly like their roster needs some pieces. Joel Embiid is great, but around him, you kind of have questions. So, and if he really does have some riffs with James Harden, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was to jump ship. All right, let's continue on with a team in the East who's kind of going through their own fair share of drama. The Brooklyn Nets following another disappointing end to their season where they were swept in the first round. Kyrie Irving was vocal about his desires to re-sign with the team. However, the team has not exactly exchanged the same sentiment. Uh, The Nets are reportedly unwilling to give Kyrie Irving a long-term extension due to his personal decision to not get vaccinated, and unpredictable injury history. That has led to questions about what's going on with Kevin Durant, who it's expected that if Kyrie Irving was to leave the Nets, that Kevin Durant would follow suit. So, believable or buffoonery? We are nearing the end of the KD Kyrie era in Brooklyn.
1: Um, I think there's some belief behind it. I think that, I hate to say it, but I think that um, the KD Kyrie vaccination stuff might have run for some fellas and people aren't willing to invest in him the way that they were to begin the se- to begin the season.
0: Yeah, I would say believable too. I think that while we saw at points, Kevin – I'm not Kevin. Kyrie was great, and KD, saying goes for him when he's healthy. But I just feel like – I don't know. I just think that I, – I respect the – front office for if they really feel some type of way about Kyrie, not giving him that extension, not committing yourself to him for the next four plus years. Cause you don't really know the type of player you're going to get. Cause I mean, injuries have been a big thing for him throughout his time. And then Kevin Durant, I can understand his frustration because Kyrie is a guy who you really lobby for and wanted to, you know, play with you get it. He comes and it's just, I think that this experience has not been what anyone has hoped. And if you're Brooklyn, I think it just kind of comes down to do you want to go back to having to struggle to find stars again or do you just want to try to make it work with the guys that you have? And it seems that at this moment they may not they may not want to. All right, last question uh, before we close out this bad boy. we got to talk Luka Dunchik, where there are multiple different perspectives on him and if the Mavericks can win with his playing style. For example, Colin Coward on his podcast said, uh, he was, a, he was a little James Harden in him. He has a little James Harden in him. Number one usage rate in the NBA past two years. There's a little Mellow, too. Never sure if he's in great shape. He and Westbrook are the only players with a losing record when they score 40 or more. Melo, Harden, and Westbrook. Not exactly the comps you're looking for in playoff success. Another similar take was Max Kellerman who said that Luka Doncic, cannot be compared to guys like Magic Johnson or Larry Bird because they did not make their team. He did not make his teammates better. But as a retort, J.J. Reddick said, "Lucas playing on a team with rotation players and second-round picks and undrafted guys like Dorian Finney-Smith. His shot quality created for his Mavs teammates in the last two seasons is number one in the league. They're shooting 33% on wide-open threes. It's not his fault they can't make shots. So, Ethan, where do you stand on this argument, believable or buffoonery? Luka Dunchik's play style is not conducive to playoff success. It's not. I mean, we've seen it where it's
1: like you can't just have one guy. Granted, I do agree that he has set up his teammates tremendously into a great effect, but the style of play in the playoffs is you can't just have one guy to run the whole show. Especially when you're playing in a league where now a team a lot of teams have multiple star players. Like let's say, hypothetically, I mean, you can even look at the Warriors. They have Stephen Clay, and they have Jordan Poole, who's making his own name in these playoffs. And then let's say, like
0: hypothetically, they were to beat the, um, they were to beat the Warriors and do the impro- uh, the unthinkable. They would have to play a Boston
1: Celtics team led by Jalen Brown and I mean led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think you have to and when you have a guy
0: like Luca who needs the ball in his hands as much, you're going you you have to have someone else that can like make plays
1: besides him, especially in those moments when he isn't on the bench. And Jalen Brunson has kind of become that guy, but it's also just hard because Luca has the ball in his hands so much you're also kind of taking away some of the effectiveness of him because he's not able to have the ball in his hands
0: to get into rhythm. So I definitely agree. Yeah, I'm gonna say uh believable as well. And I think it's just really frustrating because we see the talent of Luca. Like it's hard when we see really talented guys, but it just does not parlay to playoff success. And I mean it's kind of using James Harden as an example. He's been that guy in the regular season for years, but he has not really been able to carry that over into the playoffs. With Luca, we're starting, we're seeing that he's the same guy game in and game out, which is awesome, but clearly the team around him is not helping him. And I think some of it does kind of go on Luca because I think that there are times when he just tries to do it all himself. But, I mean, when you look at the, his teammates, they're very inconsistent, so I get why he isn't necessarily too keen on the idea of sharing the rock if he doesn't have to. But, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I don't I don't think it's going to really lead to much as of as at least this season unless they really make some changes to this team. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please should sure to check out the XReport.net. I repeat, the for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly, and fellow XReport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The XReport. Ethan, anything you want to say before we close out this bad boy? Yeah, I mean, I hope so as well. Um, the, like you mentioned earlier, this current series is, um, has not exactly been that great, especially because we saw much more competitive games in the first couple of rounds. So, But I think the finals are going to be better. So I think we're in agreement. We got Warriors and Celtics. Yeah, that's what it's like. All right. all right. Yeah, I mean, by this time next week, we'll definitely know. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out TheExport.net. I repeat TheExport.net for exclusive sports content Run by yours truly and fellow export writers. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.